This week on Life and Faith. Servicemen and women are very much attuned to the idea that sacrifice involves cost. So leading up to Easter and, you know, not far after that to Anzac Day, there's that centrality of sacrifice that is true for both the experience of Australian servicemen and women, but also for Christians. We feel this impulsion to tell our story, to bear witness of the mystery that is us. The Romans took for granted their right to massacre men and to enslave women and children. It was just that feeling of stepping out that seemed so daunting. Welcome to Life of Faith from CPX. I'm Simon Smart. This week we're repeating an episode that first aired in 2017 at a time when Easter and Anzac Day were very close together. Now that doesn't happen every year, of course. We've written and spoken about the connections between Easter and Anzac Day before. Now Anzac Day has become almost a sacred day in Australia. And so thinking about how those two days resonate with each other feels like an interesting exercise to us. The war in Ukraine might also add a layer of pathos to this week's episode. So, from Life and Faith in 2017, The Cost of Sacrifice. This is an interview that Natasha and I did. We were coming up to Easter, and I remember trying to explain the Easter story to my kids when they were little, and this is not easy. This is not a kid's story. There's there's a whole lot of death and blood and brutality and sacrifice. Yeah, there's quite a contrast between the bunny costumes and the Easter egg hunts and the story that gave rise to it all. But nevertheless, churches across Australia will be holding services this Good Friday to remember the death of Jesus on the cross. And then again on Sunday in celebration of an empty tomb. This idea of sacrifice in particular can be quite dark. How does a violent and horrific death go hand in hand with ideas like forgiveness, reconciliation, love? Colonel Craig Bakel has served in the Australian Armed Forces for the last 27 years, and he's a Christian. So sacrifice is something he's thought about quite a bit over the years. But firstly, we wanted to know what it was that actually drew him towards a career in the Army. I remember quite clearly my parents cutting out an article in the local community newspaper about a, a cadet unit in Wanneroo in Western Australia in Perth that was advertising for cadets and I hadn't really had any other uh, military influence in my family, um, either people serving or otherwise. But my parents thought it'd be a good thing. And I went along to this cadet unit. And right from that very moment, uh, I found that it was something that really inspired me. It was something that I really enjoyed, made some great friends. And I learned a lot about the army in that cadet environment. I then served for a short time in the army reserve. Uh, as a gunner in an artillery unit uh, in Western Australia and then successfully applied to join the Defence Force and then went through officer training. So that was really over 27, 28 years ago now. So it's it's a long time ago, but uh, it really was that initial news article that drew me into the Army cadet system. Isn't that amazing? I often am struck by the Defence Force ads, which are very good, I have to say. It makes me think this could be exciting. but And uh, I'm, I'm going to guess that it isn't always quiet as, as it's depicted in the ads, but has it been, has it sort of lived up to what you'd hoped? It certainly has. I think the terms dream come true are apt in my experience. It's provided me great opportunities to serve my country, which was the original inspiration for me joining. 
Uh, I've been privileged to serve overseas uh, in Kuwait for a short period of time in East Timor on two occasions, once in 2000 and then again in 2006. And then in Afghanistan twice, once uh, in 2009 for six months and then most recently uh, last year for 12 months on a posting. So uh, I've certainly had the opportunity and the privilege to deploy on operations and serve in a variety of different roles that have been very diverse. One of the great strengths of the Army is uh, you do get the opportunity to be posted into different jobs every couple of years, and so the job never gets boring. Uh, And it really has exposed uh, me to a great team of people in lots of different environments and great leaders, and I've been able to develop my own leadership skills in that environment. So, yeah, it's been great. Craig, the culture of the armed forces is quite distinct in a lot of ways from the culture of mainstream Australia. Mm. You know, you think of values like obedience and self-sacrifice and discipline. Um, They don't necessarily play a large role in just most Australians' lives. Mm. Um, Are there ways that army leaders deliberately try to cultivate those qualities or maybe struggle to cultivate them against the prevailing culture? I think... The main principle of leadership that we apply in the Army is to lead by example and to demonstrate through our words and actions the behaviours that we want to see from amongst our our serving soldiers, sailors uh, and airmen and women. So I think leadership by example is critically important. Um, I think the Army does a great job in selection of its people. It's looking for certain qualities, particularly of character, of a sense of wanting to serve Australia. Uh, And so those core elements are then brought into the recruiting system where they're uh, shaped and moulded in a way that can build a team and teach people skills that they then are required to use on operational service. So, um, yes, we draw people from all walks of life and our society is very diverse and that's actually part of the strength, I think, of the Army, the diversity that... Uh, it brings is one of the key strengths to our culture. Craig, you seem to think that Christian faith has something to offer the Defence Force. What role or value does it have in your world, in this military world? Really, it's a great source of individual morale, particularly in times of adversity or stress, which, as you'd appreciate, uh, and many serving soldiers and defence personnel do experience great stress and adversity, particularly on operations when They're away from their uh, family and friends and they're in a a very stressful environment. And for me as a Christian, being able to draw on my faith uh, has been a particular source of morale for me to take me through those tough times. And that's not um, unique. The Australian Army and its uh, largely Commonwealth partners have often recognised the value of a religious faith and in particular the Christian faith to morale. Uh, There was a famous general um, who became a field marshal that uh, is quite influential in army leadership circles, um, an officer by the name of Field Marshal Slim. And he served in the Second World War in the Burma campaign. And as young officers and staff cadets at Duntroon were exposed to one of his key books, which is called Defeat into Victory. And in one of his most influential chapters, he describes what makes up the components of morale and It's spiritual, physical, uh, and moral. The spiritual aspect is not exclusively religious, but Slim did make the point that the Christian religion has, above all others, been one of the most enduring sources of morale, and therefore it does contribute to the fighting power and combat capability of, of the army, and that's been demonstrated through history. 
It was quite interesting. Um, many Allied soldiers were taken prisoner during the Korean War in the 1950s uh, and interned in prisoner of war camps. And the British did a study after this uh, experience where they interviewed um, a large number of ex-prisoners of war to try and find what were those factors and characteristics that allowed them to survive what was an incredibly difficult uh, internment experience. And one of the key conclusions that they made was that the Christian faith uh, of many of the soldiers was one of the most significant factors that allowed them to not only endure the experience of captivity, but also to resist uh, the indoctrination that was being attempted on them and also the, the interrogation that was being attempted. And so this was quite influential for army after that war, where the, the Australian Army's Directorate of Training picked this conclusion up. And it led to the formation of what is now called the Character Development Program within Army, whereby it's a uh, formalised training program that allows the fostering of the personal faith of its members, um, including Christians, to build upon that faith, to explore it in order to develop that residual of resilience that might be called upon in, in these difficult times. It is Easter week. And so I want to ask you specifically about this idea of sacrifice. This is a really central concept, both to the Christian faith and to the military. How has your experience in the military kind of given you insights or changed how you think about uh, the idea of sacrifice in Christian faith? Yeah, that's a good question. I think sacrifice implies that there's a cost. There's a cost to something. And I think most, if not all, servicemen and women particularly those that might have experienced operational service overseas, and importantly also their families that they've left behind and their loved ones, have experienced the idea of this service costing something, be that uh, not being able to see their loved ones uh, on a regular basis because they're deployed, or physical or uh, mental or, or what some are calling moral injuries that come from operational service, and indeed up to the point of sacrificing one's life. So I think service men and women, uh, service families, are very much attuned to the idea that sacrifice involves cost. And equally with the Christian gospel, the costliness of Christ's death on the cross is central to the good news uh, in that Christ willingly went to the cross, uh, laid his life down for us so that we might have a, a restored relationship with God. But that costs something and that costs Christ's life on the cross. So leading up to Easter and, you know, not far after that to Anzac Day, there's that centrality of sacrifice that is true for both the experience of Australian servicemen and women, but also for Christians. So that's been kind of a two-way street for you in terms of your Christian faith influencing how you think about sacrifice in a military context and vice versa? Yeah, certainly. I mean, there are many examples in the Bible of where particularly Paul uses the analogy of soldiers. Um, so that has often resonated. There are numerous examples of military people throughout history that have held a Christian faith, and that's been central to their leadership style. Some of those notable examples, um, famous American Civil War General Stonewall Jackson that I've read a lot about. Um, similarly, a former UK Chief of the General Staff, Sir Richard Dannett, uh, was a very committed Christian. These, uh, I guess, figures from history, these military figures, have demonstrated to me and to others that uh, having a faith in Christ is not incompatible with serving in the military. 
You're listening to Life and Faith from the Centre for Public Christianity. We're speaking with Craig Bickell. He's a colonel in the Australian Army and a Christian. And his journey to faith involved a stained glass window, something called warrior's guilt, and meeting the love of his life. I guess to set the scene a little bit, I grew up um, not really having a true understanding of the Christian gospel. I went to an Anglican boys' school in Perth, um, I guess learnt the virtues of the Christian faith, started to meet people in my career and, and outside that were great and positive role models from a Christian perspective in that they modelled values that I aspired to, things like you know adherence to an ethos of duty and of honour and of country that I'd read about and wanted to emulate. And that's, I guess, what first uh, intrigued me about the Christian faith. I'd also uh, met uh, my now wife, Tracy, who also intrigued me, given the, her real, true and strong faith. Um, Is it because of her that I understand you did go to church for some time, but didn't think of yourself as a Christian? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I basically said, look, I'm happy to investigate Christianity. And people clearly held these beliefs very strongly and with great integrity. And so I thought that, you know, it's the right thing to do to understand the Christian faith that people adhere to. So I started going along to a church uh, and I also started investigating the historical reliability of uh, the Gospels. And I was a historian, I'm a historian by background academically, uh, and so having some confidence that I could rely upon the Bible from a historical perspective was really important to me personally. So I investigated that and I came to a point where I had been convinced of the historical reliability of the Bible. We have more evidence for what is written in the Bible than we do for other things that we take for granted in history, such as from a military example, Caesar crossed the Rubicon. That was really influential in convincing me of the historical reliability of the Bible. So God, I guess, took me on a journey for, for about 10 years, and it was, I think, at the end of 2002 where really this all came to a head where I started experiencing what some people might characterise as the guilt of the warrior. And I don't want to make too much of uh, of this in terms of my own personal experience. I've never experienced uh, being shot at where many of the ADF personnel have. But I certainly experienced the complexities of operational service and uh, supporting people deployed on operations. And I remember reading uh, a book that was quite influential in the profession of arms. It's a book called Gates of Fire uh, by Stephen Presserfield, and it's a historical fiction. And it talks about um, this sense of the warrior's guilt. And if I can read briefly a short section from that book, and it's, there is a secret all warriors share, so private that none dare give it voice, save only to those mates drawn nearer than brothers by the shared ordeal of arms. This is the knowledge of the hundred acts or omissions where he or she has fallen short. The little things that no one sees, the comrade who fell and cried for aid, did I pass him by, choose my skin over his? That was my crime, of which I accuse myself in the tribunal of my heart, and there condemn myself as guilty. And so I guess I I was left with some of my uh, experiences with that sense of guilt of the acts or omissions associated with my service. And so I was travelling with the then um, Minister for Defence back in 2002 to the Army's Recruit Training Centre down in Kapuka, uh, where we train our soldiers. And the officer that was taking the minister around the base took the party to the chapel, which had been built in 1993 by Army engineers or sappers, as we call them. 
And uh, I recall seeing at that time this uh, stained glass window that was um, depicted there. And it depicts an image that many soldiers, army in particular, could relate to and it would resonate with, and that it depicts a soldier who's clearly travelled a great distance. Um, He's travelled down a long road. He's been patrolling, possibly trying to protect himself from some unseen foe. And he's got to a point where he's clearly exhausted. He can go no further. And the reason for that is because of the weight of the pack that he's been carrying for some time. And he's stopped and he's put his pack not just anywhere, but he's placed it down on a hill where clearly he'd started walking towards some time ago. And on that hill is uh, the cross of the crucified Christ that is looking down upon this soldier. Uh, And this soldier has placed his pack down at the foot of the cross. Uh, And the pack is symbolic of the burdens of not only the duties and responsibilities that this soldier has uh, in his job, but also, I think, is symbolic of some of that warrior's guilt that he feels that he can no longer carry. And that image, is, I guess, is symbolic for me of, of a verse in Scripture, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, where Jesus says, "'Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul.'" for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And for me, that really struck me at the heart in that I realized that I'd never really asked Christ for forgiveness. I'd never repented. I'd never really asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And so uh, that was really what caused me to do that. that. That image was quite influential in my eventually committing myself as a Christian and asking Jesus to be my Lord and Savior and to forgive me. Uh, and from that point on, I, you know, I repented, I tried to right the wrongs uh, that I'd done and uh, re-establish relationships. And from that point on, you know, it hasn't always been uh, smooth sailing. There's always bumps in the road, but it's really given me a sense of assurance and it's been the rock that has been the basis of my morale. Now, Craig, there, it's probably an obvious question to ask someone who's a Christian and in the armed forces. There's a strong thread in Christian thinking uh, and a history of pacifism. And with this, famously, Jesus talked about turning the other cheek and loving your enemies and so on. Some Christian groups are uh, dead against Christians fighting in the military. But how, do, how have you managed to process that and bring those things together? Yeah, well, these things have you know vexed theologians and thinkers for a long time. And I, I am no theologian, um, but I've certainly read the Bible and, and tried to search for a Christian position on this. And it's, I think it's illustrative that nowhere uh, does Jesus command uh, Roman soldiers to get out of the army and leave what could be implied by such a direction as a immoral service. He tells them to stop extorting from people. Uh, so there is that example. And there's also the example of the Roman centurion who converts to Christianity and Nowhere is it clear that he feels the need to leave his service uh, in the Roman army. I'm not suggesting that it didn't get complicated for uh, Roman Christians uh, as they went forward, but uh, there's no indication that he was called to leave his military service. As to the issue of warfare and the use of force, I take the, the command from Jesus to turn the other cheek to be to apply to me personally, to a wrong that may have been done against me personally and to forgive my enemies. 
I think that there is a really strong and biblical argument that force can be used to protect others in the service of a legitimate authority. Two leading theologians, Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas, grappled with this question and came to what has been termed the just war concept, that uh, how can force be used justly? And then once force is being used, what are the limitations and how should it be conducted? And I think the just war principles that the Australian Defence Force applies, um, which are very stringent, is informed by that Christian perspective of discrimination, of not targeting innocence, of proportionality, uh, and that it's done on the command of a legitimate authority, which is the government. What has your experience in armed forces taught you about human nature? And does that kind of fit with what your faith tells you about human nature? Yeah. As I mentioned, I've deployed a couple of times, um, and there are many others that have deployed far more often than I have and in far more difficult circumstances. But I deployed to East Timor uh, in 2000, which was well after the, the violence of the independence ballot in 1999, but still dealing with the scars of that experience. Um, then back in 2006, where um, there was a breakdown in law and order and again internal strife in that country and again much suffering amongst the civilian population. Uh, and our, our role there was to go back and restore uh, security and stability at the request of the government of Timor. Uh, and then in Afghanistan uh, in 2009 and then most recently uh, last year for 12 months. And Afghanistan, obviously, for anyone who reads the news, has been racked by conflict for um, most recently the last 30 years, but it's certainly uh, experienced conflict over many years prior to that. So I guess that those experiences have affirmed of what the Bible teaches about uh, where we're at in history. Um, we see earthquakes and natural disasters. We see wars. Um, we see conflict. And um, Jesus actually talks about this to, again, his disciples and basically calls them not to be alarmed when they, they see these things because uh, this is characteristic of the age that we live in. And that helps me to understand that uh, whilst shocking and whilst horrific, and particularly for those that are enduring and suffering, God has still got this in control. And it's really a consequence of the sinfulness of the human heart that we see such things going on. I think many people quite understandably struggle with that, particularly after they return from their service overseas. And there's been quite a rise of post-traumatic stress disorder and what some are calling moral injury from operational service. And I have found, for me personally, the Christian faith has provided uh, a means by which some of those injuries, those moral wounds, if you like, can be healed. That if you are burdened by guilt through a sense of moral injury that you might have experienced through your service, then you can be forgiven. And that's an amazing message for people that are carrying such burdens. Now, with Easter and Anzac Day pretty close together on the calendar, we didn't want to miss the opportunity to ask Colonel Bakel about Anzac Day too. So here he is, starting with how he'll be commemorating this day. 
Look, I will probably take part in uh, a morning at dawn service um, with my family and then follow that up with uh, marching in the parades in Canberra where I'm, I'm now posted to. Don't imagine there's much choice, is there? You have to do this, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> I'm going to the beach. <laughs> no, look, I think there really is a desire to get out there and um, I think it's a great thing that uh, Australian society is recognising its servicemen and women in the way that they are on Anzac Day, so I'm looking forward to being part of it. You'll be gladly setting the alarm for 5am. <laughs> yep, I certainly will. What does Anzac Day mean to you? Like there is quite a significant link with Christianity there. Yeah, I mean, Anzac Day is first and foremost an opportunity for Australian society to recognise the service and sacrifice of its serving men and women through the various activities that go on. And it's only right that we do that. And I think there are some great parallels, uh, again, on the issue of sacrifice, which are rightly commemorated uh, on Anzac Day, and the parallels being with the Christian faith, that idea of Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. Sometimes I feel, being a member in uniform, that uh, society can sometimes put us on a pedestal that we don't deserve. And so I try and, in my conversations around Anzac Day, not only acknowledge the rightful uh, acknowledgement of the sacrifice of serving men and women, but point to what I consider to be a greater sacrifice, which is the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And the reason why I say that's a greater sacrifice is because Australian servicemen and women um, serve for their queen, their country, and their comrades. And uh, they do that willingly, and they do that well. But Christ laid down his life for his enemies, which is just an incredible thing to do when I think about it. I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could willingly go to my death and lay down my life for the people that are completely opposed to what he had to come and say. Um, And that's why that sacrifice by Christ is the perfect sacrifice and something that we should also remember, and we do at Easter, and also rightly commemorate on Anzac Day. And you'll see that in the uh, the hymns that are, are often sung and the passages from Scripture that are often spoken from. Well, it seems fitting that Easter and Anzac Day often, uh, including this year, are fairly close together. Craig, thanks so much for speaking with us. Thanks very much for having us. Appreciate it. This has been Life and Faith with me, Simon Smart, and Natasha Moore, and from a few years ago, Colonel Craig Bakel. Please do pass this or any other episode of Life and Faith onto people who you think might appreciate it. Meanwhile, have a great and meaningful Easter and hopefully a rest as well. We're taking a break for a few weeks and we'll be back with more Life and Faith from April 28. We'll see you then. <laughs>